Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. When I was a kid, I remember watching this movie called Thief in the Night. And, uh, and it was like, I, I don't have like a complete memory of it. I have like this like this partial memory of it. And I remember it was like about the end of the world. It was about like the rapture. It was about people being like disappeared and planes falling out of the sky, cars crashing on the freeway. Um, and I remember it occupied a place in my imagination as a child growing up. And it was one that I think was, was fearful. Um, but it was also like, oh, good. I won't be here for that, you know. Um, and so it, it was a strange kind of memory. And it got built on over the years growing up and, uh, and growing up in a tradition that was very heavy on end times tribulation, rapture, um, sort of, uh, theology, uh, coming out of Calvary Chapel land and, and things like this. And, uh, I remember reading the left behind books when they came out. I don't know if I got through all of them, but I remember reading many of them and being like, Oh yeah, I know this. Like this, this is, this is, I, I've been watching this, this movie since I was a child. Um, and I, and then, and then as I got older and older, um, uh, I started to see how people like, um, reacted to that and how like that same kind of sense of like oh my gosh this is this is a nightmare uh oh but good i won't be here for it um started to characterize how like a lot of adults around me uh understood the end of the world and 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 i had to like make sure like i wasn't um doing that because i started to see there were real dangers in like feeling that god had called me to love this world and and the people in it um, while also sort of secretly being glad uh, I was going to get out before anything really went down and they were all going to be falling out of the sky in airplanes without pilots. Um, and, and so I, 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 I think of that when I think of the end, when I think of um, the book of Revelation, how it was presented to me growing up and in the churches I attended growing up. And I think of that when I think of apocalypse, when I think of that language of the final sort of cataclysm of all things. And, and that is an interesting way of thinking about apocalypse. What we want to talk about today, and by we I mean the Reverend Butler and myself, is we want to talk about apocalypse maybe a little more carefully, a little more plainly then maybe it has often appeared in evangelical uh, sort of teaching or uh, understanding or, or just fiction and imagination. Um, apocalypse, Reverend Butler, can you, can you, first of all, welcome, sorry. Good to be back. <laughs> I'm already, I'm already, no, I'm ready to here go. we go, Let's here we it. go. I just feel like we're all charged up. Okay, so uh, when people think of apocalypse, right, they think of, you know, this Armageddon, they think of War, like a nuclear war right. or like a natural the yeah there's yeah. some kind of um you know day after tomorrow you know the earth right. is froze something's crazy california's broken off and fallen into the ocean right um when you think of that you think of like hollywood apocalypse but that hollywood apocalypse to my point is is also part of sort of the christian imaginary of apocalypse right um what is the apocalypse what or what what is how should we maybe start to approach the idea of Apocalypse. This is a popular moment to be thinking about this. People are thinking about this 
very dramatically, very out loud uh, in the moment we happen to be living through. Um, but what would you say about how we should start with thinking about that term, apocalypse? No, it's a great question, um, and and really has a uh, has a, a large place in Christian theology and Christian practice. Um, uh, so, apocalypse is as you know, it is a is a revealing at its fundamental level. It's it's to reveal the things that are hidden. Um, is what the word itself means um, as it appears in uh, the scriptures and John's apocalypse. Yeah, John's the apocalypse. revelation. The it's revealing. a re- revelation, right? Yeah. So sometimes we, but apocalypse oftentimes gets associated with, um, you know, uh, some of the, uh, the, 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 the symbolic events that John is reflecting in the Revelation, which paints a picture of the world kind of clawing itself apart yeah. in a lot of places. And what is that all about? Um, there, so apocalypse, uh, it really has to do with, um, like, opening up the things that are hidden and showing them. Um, and this is significant in in Christianity, because um, at the heart of Christianity is Christ, who himself um, makes manifest the hidden things of God. Mm. He is the one who mediates them and communicates them to us um, with the Holy Spirit, um, who leads us into all truth, and the all truth that we are led into is the the things, the sort of hidden and deep things of God. Mm. Um, and so as that revelation that is founded, that is that is located in Christ and comes from Christ through the Spirit. As that um, as that is unfolded, um, this is what we mean by Christian apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so as that as that as that comes comes out, we we also see, and as that as that unfolds, we we see that that has an application. It reveals things that are true about everything. Um, God sees the the truth of everything as it is, and the truth of everything as it is is what it is as God knows it to be. Mm. And so that being revealed to us, and as we are led into that progressively through the Spirit, um, that, is, that is what we mean by apocalypse in the Christian sense. And so, um, but that, has a, that, that feeds into some of these other things I think we're talking right. about. Right, and it is interesting, you know, that you say this is, in some of the scenarios of, of uh, apoplectic, uh, <laughs> apoplectic, <laughs> uh, some of the apoplectic scenarios of the apocalypse. Indeed. Um, you know, God's not even in the picture, right? right. Like it, it is, it is like a, a World War Ten or something. It is a, it is a nuclear holocaust. It is, a, you know, any number of things. But in my, in my, you know, my memories growing up and, and the film and things like that, um, it was not obviously the Lord revealing His love, which, which can and will be cataclysm in mm-hmm. its own way as it collides with our reality. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like de-dramatize it, but, but the, the, the players, like God as the central figure of apocalypse was not how it struck me, no. right? It was like, this is like God has gone away, like God's on vacation or something. God's, right. God's going to step back and, and as you say, you know, the world's going to tear itself to pieces or something like this. Um, but this is fundamentally a revelation of God's self, of God's character, of God's love, mm-hmm. and as you say, of how God sees everything else. Right. And so that unveiling that John experiences in the book of Revelation as we, as we receive it, um, 
has so many different elements to it. As I taught through it a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. it just struck me how many different sort of um, pointers there were to city life and economic structures and all these things right. that were, you know, it just kept, kept going on and on about the great city of Babylon and how, how like, you know, society works together, but actually underneath this is what it looks like to God. And, and there were so many layers of historical reality oh, yeah. that were being unveiled there as I sort of tried to carefully move through that text with the people here at, at Zoe. Um, that was like, oh, this is what, it's like a peeling back of this reality right. as God sees it. And and it doesn't necessarily require um, some extra uh, thing to come in and make everything crazy um, if there already is a crazy way in which this world operates, right? Right. Um, that it doesn't, it's not waiting for this moment of, a bomb or something new to happen, something to be introduced from the outside. It is just a pulling back of all facades, and that is the horror. <laughs> that is the that is the warning of of John's revelation. Is look at what this actually is. Right. For this is what everyone will see. It has always been. No, I think that's a fantastic point. Um, the you know John's you know revela- the revelation that John receives, the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, Jesus to Christ. John, right? Yeah. Um, uh, that he receives is is a significant um, uh, a significant text. That that is that that is is one is is part of the same tapestry of the whole of the scriptures, because what is going on in that book is very much a continuation of what is going on through the whole of the scriptures. And oftentimes, you really need a kind of grasp of the whole of the scriptures to really make heads or tails of what's going on in in Revelation. Um, And so. I think one of the things, you know, as it, as it hits us in a, in a practical level, um, we, we turn back to the Old Testament, especially in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, and one of the recurring themes in the wisdom literature is, uh, is that, you know, human beings, we kind of come on the stage of the world at a particular point, we leave the stage of the world at a particular point, we have a, a, a frightfully brief time, hmm. we, and, and, and what we think we know about everything is usually way more incomplete than we would like to teach, tell ourselves that right, it is. Right. But at the same time, we also have a tendency within ourselves to um, kind of double down and triple down on on the things we think we know as though that is the complete knowledge of things. Right. And this produces all kinds of misery and disaster in human life, both at a personal level and then as we expand it outward into familial, social, and political levels as well. Um, and the scripture continually warns us, it continually exhorts us to a fear of the Lord, which fundamentally is, is a submission and an assent to the knowledge of God who alone, as Jesus says in Revelation, is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who alone has the perspective to know everything as it really is, um, and to, and to um, submit our own understanding to the understanding of God, which is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and so Revelation fits into that wisdom tradition. Mm. It says, at any given point, you have, at any given Christian, any given Christian um, has seen things as seen and known, and also has much more to see and know. Um, and it's a call to that continual be, continually being refreshed by the, by the wisdom of God, by the mind of God, to see the world as it really is, as God knows it to be, and to not get kind of 
calcified and, mm. and hardened in our own sense of our understanding of things, which is where, all, where a lot of disaster comes about. Right. Right. And, and I mean, thinking of the Apostle Paul's language in First Corinthians, now I know in part, and you're thinking, this is not... This is St. This is Paul. This, this is St. Paul. <laughs> it's St. It's Paul. It's not Saul. It's, you know, like yeah. this is a moment in which, you know, he's been taught directly by the Lord, has received, I mean, you know, may have already been to that third heaven. I mean, like, right. unbelievable number of things in the mature season of his ministry on earth. And he says, now I know in part, right. as through a glass darkly, we see as through a glass darkly. So maybe we could say, no matter what, to begin to think about apocalypse, the only true posture is one of humility yes. rather than triumph. Right. And I think, you know, for all good intentions of uh, the church systems and denominations I grew up with, um, it was very much the triumphalist spirit. Yeah. Um, we will excitedly talk about this in conference after conference, trying to map the news to the to the book, because we are excited to be on the right side of this and to get out of this. And so it's almost like... Um, it's almost like a hobby of to just right. see like how the pieces are going to line up um, because we won't be here to suffer much. Uh, and so it had that spirit of like, oh, isn't this exciting when when I remember when Desert Storm, when war would break out and our country would be involved in war right. or anything to do with the Middle East, anything to do with Israel, people would get it, it would be impossible to not hear the excitement in the voice of pastors over conflict that was leading to lives being lost right. because this is probably it. Maybe this is it. And that, that posture of triumphalism, of detachment from the sufferings of actual people in space and time, seems to me the exact opposite of what, of what the Scripture is all about, which, as you said, is this sort of attitude of we know hardly anything, and that which we think we know we better not hold too too tightly because only right. God knows. And so we are, we are humbly coming to um, this this idea, this concept, or these, these texts, um, we, we certainly would never want to find ourselves um, more confident than St. Paul. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that That's would right. be a, a preposterous position to intentionally take up. Right. So humility as an approach to apocalypse, or humility as maybe the first thing apocalypse ought to do, right, is, is right. to humble the proud, and especially the the religious or the righteous proud, right? Um, I think of when you talk about hidden things, I think of um, in Romans 2 and Paul saying, my gospel is that Jesus Christ will return and judge everyone's secret life. Yep. And he has set up Romans 1 and 2 to catch out all of those who think they are not going to be judged and that they are on the right side of all the things because they have the right texts, they have the right traditions, they have the right knowledge. Uh, and he sets them up to say, and you are just the same, yep. except you pretend to know, or you think you have the answer because you've been given more. And so just, just how to position ourselves in that place where maybe we really love the Lord, maybe we really think certain things are going to happen a certain way, but to have the humility that we could be very, very wrong about right. how we interpret the end, um, and that the apocalypse is not just, well, we'll find out when it happens, but is something that is always already happening. No, I think that's, I think that's, a, that's spot on, right? That it, that it points to something that is present with us uh, even now. 
um, which is the import, another important reason to to separate apocalypse from an idea of the last thing, the last thing that's going to happen, right? Mm. The, the 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 end of the world, right? Um, because it, it we miss out on an entire world of opportunities for for maturity and growth right now if we look at things that way. Um, so a, a, a number of things come to mind. Um, you know, we I think we we see um, in Saint Paul again, right? So Saint Paul he points out like now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Um, uh, this is also not a guy who is ambivalent about many things. Right. He is very um, vocal about the things that have been revealed right. to him as they are by the Lord, um, and exhorts people and even and and in in very austere, severe terms yeah. sometimes how confident he is in those things, even if the folks that he's preaching to refuse to accept it. Right. So this is not like I think I think one of the important things right away is to distinguish that humility of perspective from a skepticism of perspective. Right. That goes from an overconfidence to a denial of any confidence. Nobody being really possible, knows. Right? And we so can't how know. Can we possibly? Which is, you know, in its own way, another form of that presumption, presumption yes, and yes, hubris, yes. that pride, right? right? Which says, "Oh well, I can't know everything, so nobody can know anything." Right. And in really, the proper posture is there in the middle, saying, "Like, I, I have been shown some things. I have yet much, much more to learn. Lord, have mercy and help me." Right. Um, and it and, is the smallness of our. That's knowing. right. Right. It's not that we can't know. It's not that God hasn't spoken to us. Right. It's not that He hasn't made things accessible to us. Right. It's that we, in our capacity, are that that little teacup. Right. That even if we we know as much as we possibly could, <laughs> it is a little teacup. It's a little knowing. teacup. That's right. <laughs> and and you know, I think I think we have to enshrine this in our regular practice of the Christian faith. What do you mean? Um, we so uh, no matter where we are in the Christian faith, whether we're we're new we're newborn, newly converted. Or whether we are we are greatly mature in the faith, we have we have walked with the Lord for many many decades, right? This is always the posture I think we need to have because it, the posture is based on something that remains constantly true. Uh, we have always been shown some things. We have always much much more to learn, and there is never a point in our in our in our life in this world when this will not be true. So you know, for, for I think I'm, I, my mind is drawn to an example like from from our own worship service in my, in, in 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 my Christ, in the Christian tradition I come from. We Every worship service begins with a prayer that says, um, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, mm. all desires are known, mm. and from whom no secrets are hid, mm. cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify you. So it's a, it's a pretext to all worship saying, you see everything. You right. see us as we are coming here. Right now. Right now. Yeah. And, and whether or not you're worshiping for the first time praying that prayer, or whether you are worshiping for the last time in your life in this world, praying that prayer, whether you're at your first service or your last service, that will always be the thing, way, the way to enter mm. the worship of God, I think. And that it's, a, it's a mercy to all of us to have to begin that way continually. No one, no one is exempt from that prayer. I love that you say it's a mercy because, yeah. you know, it is the saddest thing when the most sort of well-intentioned uh, among us, including ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. When when we are all in, when we are zealous about the Lord and the things of the Lord, when we discover those moments, which we do discover those moments personally where we have clearly gone astray yeah. and did not mean to on some level, right? Especially to do with the things of the Lord or the things that I remember, you know, sermons I've preached, uh, you know, in the, <laughs> in the other lifetime 15 years ago sure. that I had to 
deliberately walk back with certain people who were there right. because I had gotten it wrong. And I needed to, I needed to answer to that, um, not to say who can know and everyone's wrong, as you said, but the, the moral responsibility before the Lord was to repent, confess that my sincerity may have been present, but sincerity guarantees nothing. Right. And, and so as a Christian who is growing and needing to grow, to be able, the mercy and the freedom to be able to say that kind of prayer, you see right now what is amiss, even or especially if we don't, right. um, but that he can, he can show us that at any stage in our Christian life, right. and that that is part of our, of our pilgrimage, part of our growth into loving him better. I mean, that is, of course, the story of Paul, right? Who right. so zealously fought for the Lord that he fought against the Lord, you know, and, and was stunned to discover he was persecuting God Most High. Right. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, there is no That's more right. perfect illustration of sincerity meaning absolutely nothing. Um, and yet, and yet, the mercy of Paul's life and the mercy of the Christian life to say, okay, from here on forward, what we owe is a debt of love right. for having been rescued from our most zealous religious intentions. No, that's right. And and it and it typically, especially the more zealous we are, um, requires a kind of apocalypse. Yeah. In the in the more um, forceful sense. So we have the kind of passive sense where God has God is revealing so right. much. He is a God who loves to reveal. Um, and loves to show his children um, uh, good things, um, and to show them the, and to lead them into truth. Um, but then, then we have the kind of apocalypse as we see it in the life of Saint Paul, right? On his on his conversion on the Damascus Road, which is an apocalypse. Yeah. He he is he is going he's going about his 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 duties, right? I was I was taking letters to you know from the chief priest to the Church of Damascus. I'm going to you know and end this ridiculous little heretical cult mm-hmm. that is you know that are that are that are that are, that are worshiping wrongly. And the Lord himself appears in a vision uh, to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and, everything, and everything changes. But this is a massive disruption to the, to the life of St. Paul mm-hmm. that shows him um, something that reconfigures the whole meaning of the thing as he thought he had known it. And this is properly what Apocalypse does. This is what Apocalypse, as we know it within the Christian faith, functions to do. Um, and that's really what the book of Revelation ultimately does, but in, in, a, in a more, in an almost untenably large perspective, right? right? Um, and, it, and it begins, though, I think it begins, though, in a way that's similar. It begins with those who, are, who claim to be zealous for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Revelation, and this is the part that always gets skipped if we're just kind of flipping through the book, is the letters to the seven churches in right. the beginning of the book of Revelation, right. which together sort of give us a picture of the church throughout time, um, and and but it's always the, the this apocalypse begins continually in the community of faith. It yeah. has to, um, and and Jesus comes to them first, saying, "You have done this well. Yet more, you need to grow. You need to grow in love even yeah. more. And uh, and 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 you have this much more to do. Do so. Otherwise, your lampstand will be snuffed out. And, right. and there's and there's a significant um, there's a significance to the fact that when when that revelation comes when that apocalyptic revelation comes it comes to those who are zealous for the Lord so for the benefit of the the world beyond right 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 it is so that you will maintain a lampstand you are not entitled to right 
even though you've taken the name of Christ, right? right? I mean, that, that idea, again, of the Christian life as a pilgrimage, as, a, as an unfolding rather than as an instance, um, is so obvious when he's warning the churches that he will remove their witness. He will remove that anyone should hear anything from them about himself right. uh, because it will be maligned, it'll be twisted, it'll be false. And what is the point of a witness that is false, right? It is, it is a lie, it is a hypocrisy. And so his warning there, you say, is, is sort of, that is the, those are the historical churches, but also symbolically the church through space and time, that that revelation, that revealing is given to, and it is given as a blessing and an obvious warning, right? Right, but, and, and I think it, the significance goes beyond that too, where it, it is for the sake of the world. For the sake of the world, because these churches in the first context mm-hmm. are historical churches. Right, they're that in existed, actual cities. Yeah. Getting this text, getting these, the, this letter, um, and, and so it is for the purpose of their witness right. that the book of Revelation is given at all. Because you could say, well, of course God knows everything, and eventually we'll all see as God sees, mm-hmm. as Paul says, you know, yeah. um, we'll know as, as he knows us. So we'll just wait. We'll just wait till that happens, and then I'm sure I'll, I'll be shocked, and I'll know that there was more things than I ever realized, you know, and that'll be for the then, right? right? But, but this book of Revelation is for now, for Christians in the present historical reality right. of this world so that they can witness properly to their neighbor. That's right. There's, a, there's, an, there's an evangelistic point to this, to apocalypse, that I think gets lost when we get too wrapped up in apocalypticism. Right, the um, sensational side. Yeah, the sensational of side of it, which we, we tend, we, which tends to, I think, I've, I've often seen it in, in my own pastoral practice, uh, like tend to alienate. Mm. Um, alienate and and for, and force a kind of ex, uh, exclusionary it's kind us of attitude. Or them, it's which us are or them. Yeah. The it's like, are you? Yeah. Are, yeah. Are you the true the true believer <laughs> right, or not? Right. Like, and in it, there's a there's a there's a, and this undermines the entire point of right. Revelation that re- apocalypse is constantly poured out on the church, constantly poured out on the church through the reading of the scriptures, through the uh, through Christ who is made known in the opening of the scriptures and in the breaking of the bread, because. We need that apocalypse continually to indict the ways we do not yet fully love God and neighbor and continually call us to that greater thing so that our witness may be purified and we might present Christ to the world as he is. There, but that evangelistic point is critical because apocalypse is given as a gift at right. the end of the day, right. a gift to mold us into, uh, into those who can testify to who Christ is and to, and, to, and, to, and to present him to the world and to testify him, to him to the world. But we often lose that thing. It's like, oh, we've been given this secret knowledge about how everything's going to play out. And it's like lame, like everyone else is lame for good not luck. having it. And it's like, good luck, guys. Like, we're, we're okay over here. And it's like, that's, the, that's missing the point entirely, right. you know. It's the opposite of the point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Blessed are those who sort of receive the words of this revelation, <laughs> exactly. which is you Christians who right. otherwise could end up not having any witness whatsoever. Right. So let's pivot then to, the present, because the present yeah. is a historical moment um, that is apocalyptic in yeah. in so many ways. So we are living in an age of the pandemic now. Yeah. We are living in a time in this country, at least, um, where hostilities and uh, partisan sort of, not just partisan politics, partisan identity mm-hmm. is has really uh, won the day as a central identity for most functioning adults. Yeah. Um, that it is no longer sort of what you sort of believe about your spiritual life or these kinds of things that are central to who you are. It is how you vote. 
it is uh, it is what what colored t-shirt you wear in November or right. it is it is the talking points you take up when the argument breaks out over Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it is right um, but that is where people's <laughs> most passionate connection to right their their there is right um, so apocalypse in this moment I mean many people are talking about we're teetering on the edge of a civil war. We're teetering right. on the edge of, of a hyper-violent society, um, you know, debating openly all these issues of racism and policing and, and a militarized police and, and an ongoing war that people have forgotten about because it's been so long yeah. and any number of things, but also the global nature of the pandemic, the global nature of the economic crisis that will continue to unroll in waves and stuff. Um, this moment for us, um, we, you know, church is not a place where people have been able to freely gather uh, during this season. Um, and, and so this is a moment, if we're understanding apocalypse primarily, first and foremost, for the church, um, how have you seen this moment of apocalypse affect yourself, your church, your context, your community of faith? How do you see it playing out in sort of our lived space here? Yeah, no, it's it's an excellent question, and and you know it begins with that we have, with, again with that smallness of perspective, I think because one of the one of the features of this apocalyptic um, you know this apocalyptic moment is um, is that it has there's been a scattering. Um, first of all, um, the pandemic has has forced a lot of us um, into a, a relative state of isolation from each other, and that's made it difficult to to to, to maintain contact in an active sense of where everyone is actually at. Um, because you can't, you know, you, you don't get, you know, it changes things when you can't be with people and kind of gauge where they're at. And that's been one of the great burdens of that as a pastor um, is feeling more distant from, you know, my flock. And and so I think that, that there's a there's a smallness of perspective that has to be um, admitted first there. Um, but some of the trends that I, that I see unfolding for the church in this time um, is that it has, it has, it is, it is, it has forced us in a lot of different ways to ask the question, what, what are we yeah. as the church? Yeah. Um, are we a, a completely otherworldly um, organization of people that, uh, that are sort of yearning for a kind of escapism from this world um, and, are, and have a sense of disdain and even abandonment for what's going on in this world? Or on the flip side, are we a, just one more sort of humanitarian institution that exists to make life as palatable as possible in this world, maybe within the vision of, of kind of ushering in a utopia um, in this world, but with usually within the things and among the things of this world? Or are we, you know, sort of this, this unique institution, this unique body in the world that is the meeting place of heaven and earth, where the Spirit of God dwells among us um, and empowers us to a kind of ministration to the world that is impossible for any other institution to perform. Um, and I think what, what has been thrown into relief here is because we've all been knocked out of the normal routine of mm -hmm. doing church. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know you've experienced this, I've experienced this, where we can't do church like we were doing it right now. Um, and there's so much grief that comes up in that because it's a loss. But at the same time, it's forced us to ask the question, what do I love about the church and through that what what are we as the church that is to be loved mm -hmm. um, and there's i think been a, an extended period of meditation on what that is and who we are as a people um, and it has called out from within each of our hearts what we require the body of christ to be 
even as that collides with a continual apocalypse from the scriptures showing us what the church is actually called to be. Right. And we're actually being given the moment of a moment of opportunity now to have those things collide and to see where maybe I have misapprehended what we're doing here mm-hmm. and where we maybe need to go from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you and I have have, have witnessed um, a lot of the wrong hills being yeah. being died on. Um, a lot of culture war issues, the, a lot of uh, taking up those, those first two positions you mentioned that the church may think itself to be, um, either sort of a, a distant sort of kindness to to make people feel a little bit better about hard things Mm -hmm. um or this really otherworldly like triumphalist group of people who are in it for themselves and 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 what's hard to say is like i don't i know people don't think that's what that is but if the whole point of apocalypse is one on the one hand to show what's already there and on the other hand to um to steer the church maybe you know primarily through repentance to be a better witness to our neighbors of the love of god and jesus um then the battles that have been fought in this season seem like almost all completely the wrong battles to me um battles over over battles against uh government uh regulations of health codes and things like this battles against uh being restricted from doing what we what we always did what we want to do what we feel like we're entitled to do uh battles against being treated as non-essential right Uh, battles of, of perspective battles of wanting to have some limelight or some importance in the social sphere amongst people who don't even believe in jesus right um battles over the direction of the country as far as the the powers that be in government positions go bad all sorts of battles that as as we've been saying are not new right that what is happening now is an unveiling and and maybe an acceleration of what was already there so that it's impossible to ignore and in so many ways, I have seen those who are not in the church recoil even further at the way the church has conducted itself yeah. in this season. Whereas, and, and it's not entirely, um, but whereas Christian witness in other times, in other sort of cataclysmic sort of historical circumstances, has been, I'm not trying to idealize, but has been seasoned with, with humility, with neighbor love, with the care of the vulnerable uh, amongst us as right. the highest calling of the Christian life, um, as the fulfillment of Jesus's uh, commands. Um, so much of that, in part, that latent theology of triumph has 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 manifested as a us versus them and a us doing what we want to do until we get out of here anyway. Right. Um, and so, and so, what you and I have, have experienced or seen, even just in how difficult it's been for people to continue their connection to the church they belong to, right? If they're a Christian, they have a place in right. the body of Christ, and yet it has been harder and harder for people to sustain that place because of the the normal rhythms of showing up in the pl- in the one place have been taken away. The normal schedule has been taken away. And yet, instead of saying, oh, yeah, this is just a particularly new, challenging season that everyone has to sort of white-knuckle it to get to the other side of, right. uh, you and I would want to pause for ourselves, but also for the people that we are charged to care for, and say, it may be showing what we already were. 
if it's hard for us to stay connected, it may be because we were not that connected to begin with. If it's hard for us to make time for the word or make time for a service or make time for prayer, it may be because we have always been having trouble making time for those right. things, right. that our priorities have not been that. So this is just revealing that, right? How have you seen that affect people in your you know, in your care or in your vicinity? I know many people have left churches, have there was a there was a huge buy-in when it was new right when it was treated as this event that we were all going to go through together it was almost exciting in the drama of an early lockdown and all the whole world is experiencing this and there was a rallying thing where you know there was a surge in people engaging online with church services right it was like oh my gosh you know uh, and then as i was talking with you the other day it, it wasn't that it just settled down to the normal but it dropped down significantly to something below what it had been in person, right? As far as the engagement level right. of people who had already identified with their church and being connected to a church, it would down almost a third yep. um, of people actually staying engaged in this long term. You and I would grieve that, but then we would also say, ah, that's what we were. That this is not some uh, fluke or some particular just because of this particular new thing that's arrived but it is an unveiling of the relative commitment of christians to the body Um, because when something gets harder to do you find out if you really care to do it at all right right and when it costs you a little bit more you find out if you really love it and if you really value it as jesus says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven you find out in a moment like this what you treasure um because it's the thing you'll still do right and it's the it's the it's the time you'll still make um, and so this unveiling in some basic way has been um, a revealing of the harvesting that had already been there, uh, the revealing of those who had, had truly been engaged in the life of the church, truly been connected to the Lord and his people, and revealing how quite a few who it may have been easy to show up when it was sort of a thing to do, uh, a cultural thing, maybe a thing the family did together, uh, a nice routine, and then you go to lunch on Sunday, you right. know, part of a nice weekend that was a little different than work. <laughs> when when some of those things or those <laughs> markers or those cues right. or those like uh, endorphin shots of like seeing a bunch of nice people being friendly together, like any kind club of group of people, any kind of, you know, well-meaning group of people might be or or whatever, when that is taken away, and it's just, do you value at a critical level the role of the spirit, of the word, and of the body in your life from day to day? We are all finding out to what extent that is true or not true, right? <laughs> I think that I think that's right. You know, I, I, as I as I've been reflecting on it, it's uh, we, you know, one of the things I, I hear a lot is that this is, you know, these are unprecedented times. These are unprecedented times. And in a in a way that's true. I don't want to unfairly discredit that claim um, because you know this is the configuration of things as it is now is different than it ever <laughs> has been, and this and so in that sense it is unprecedented. But in the sense that um, that things fall apart, no, not e- not even remotely unprecedented. Uh, in fact, one could argue across the span of history that what we're seeing right now is actually maybe more normal than the than the kind of period of relative prosperity and and lack of cataclysm that we had seen prior to this. 
and 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 I think when you when you look at it, I think you as a history teacher, you probably see like no, like plague years are a regular thing mm. in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you know, I think knowing that first helps us to to, under, to understand them better by looking back and seeing that. And one of the one of the at the early outset of this, I was reconsulting uh, a, an old Christian text called On Mortality. And it was by a, a Christian uh, bishop named uh, uh, Cyprian in the city of Carthage mm. in the third century, and it was and he was reflecting on his, on being a pastor during a plague year um, in Carthage, a really really dire one. The mortality rate of that plague was much much higher, right. um, and it was just a devastating plague that was sweeping through. And uh, the and his reflection on it, one of his one of the striking things he said that stuck with me was, um, "This plague will reveal the true justice of all human hearts." in all of their vocations, whether parents will love their children, whether children will care for their parents, whether wow. doctors will will stay and tend the sick, whether, you know, so it goes through a litany of different sort of social roles and all these things. What, what it will show us the true content of our hearts. And that, that has stuck with me, um, especially when I, when I see claims that this is a somehow a, a break from what we were or a reversal of what we were. Um, the lo- I, I've seen time and again that the logic that that was at the center of who we were, the way we really went about things, the, the deep thought of our heart um, has been made more manifest and amplified maybe, but is not, is not it, this, this time didn't change it, right. didn't instill something that wasn't there. It, it right. has revealed something that was there. Um, and that's, that's again to, the, to our benefit if we will take a moment to look at it. Um, but it, it requires, it, it always requires, and this is the difficulty of the time, it requires what you said. Which is saying, um, you know, again, it's it's confronted with the the you know the ways we will we've done well and the ways that we still need to be formed, and it and it puts before each of us the continual charge to um, to humility and to the acceptance of being formed further. Um, that maybe we are not as strong, courageous, you know, faithful, whatever as right. we thought we were. Right. Um, which is hard. That's a hard thing. I don't want to. I don't want to undermine. I don't want to. I don't want to mitigate or minimize the the uh, the the difficulty of realizing that. But at the same time, that's a that's a constant, necessary, and omnipresent uh, requirement of the Christian life. Yeah. When I was uh, gosh twenty two, I think I had been called to the ministry, felt the calling of the Holy Spirit, um, but was on my way to Ireland for a year to try to write a bad novel and uh, I successfully wrote a bad novel by the way. <laughs> um, but I, I it, it, it dislocated me it, it, um, it was beautiful um, there was no plague in Ireland it yeah. was it was just wonderful uh, there was a bunch of kind people and it was an absolute apocalypse for me yeah uh, I had gone from teaching this Bible study and it was just kind of moving to that okay you're gonna enter ministry that's you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get down that path you're gonna get ordained you're gonna keep moving forward um, and it was a complete separation from that. It was a complete removal from that. Completely jarred me from that momentum, from the excitement, from the encouragement, from that social kind of component of whatever that is. And in Ireland, in the most sort of beautiful, idyllic uh, things, I was on a scholarship. I didn't have to worry about finances. People would put me up in their homes and feed me beautiful meals. The kindness uh, uh, and the hospitality of the Irish can't be overstated. It is, it is normal and it is wonderful. Um, in every way, shape, and form, if you were to watch like the movie of me in Ireland that year, you'd be like, "Man, what what a treat! What a vacation! What a what bliss!" You know. And yet, within three, maybe two, 
three weeks, I started to sense, uh oh, something else is happening here, and it is between me and the Lord. And after two months, I had not found a church. I was not going to church. Mm. I had uh, opted instead for this sort of private sort of. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna design a sort of a devotional thing. I'm sort of like gonna be a pre-seminary. I'm gonna like read a bunch of theological texts. You know, um, I had I had managed to. I had managed to be someone who a moment ago was in the life of a church, teaching a Bible study, moving toward pastoral ministry, and then when left just up to myself, did not go to church. Yeah. Found out that I was not a person who actually valued going to church. I was a person who liked to teach people about the Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that was not the same thing as loving the body of Christ. And it was a shocking moment because it was so low grade, it was so calm, it was so beautifully sort of decorated with soft Irish rain and, <laughs> and kindness and travel and all these wonderful things and these lovely classes on writing. And, and yet for me, it was, it was like a Damascus road. It yeah. was the Lord revealing things in me that uh, I remember moments of panic and terror that I was disqualified for ministry, that I could never be... Um, capable in his sight of being a pastor. Right. I confronted things in myself. And again, nobody except maybe one or two people who I ended up sort of opening up to after some time went by had any idea what was going on. It just looked like, oh, he's having a, what a lucky guy, you know, right. <laughs> what a wonderful year. And it was, it was an apocalypse. And I remember being sh- ashamed and embarrassed at the things that I found in my own heart as the Lord allowed them to be revealed and at the, at the selfishness and at the selfishness of my ambition, even for Mm. ministry and like anything that could have ruined me was all just let to just fester right up to the surface. And I just remember being like, I remember being on my bike. It was like, uh, Stephen Dedalus in in a particular moment in, um, in a portrait of the artist. I remember being on my bike, like riding down a hill in Galway, uh, like the most beautiful place in the world, um, Salt Hill, uh, riding down to Galway Bay. And I remember being in a moment of almost just panic mm-hmm. of just like, I am not, I'm not even a Christian. Like I, my desires are not your desires. Like they are right. the opposite of what you want me to desire. They, I am, I am the opposite of what I meant to be. And it was, it was staggering and it was painful and it was very personal and it was very quiet, but it was an absolute apocalypse wow. um, for me. And it wasn't, it was four months before I finally started going to church hmm. and it felt like I had sort of like, been squeezed through the <laughs> eye of a needle or something, you know, through a pinhole of hope. And, um, and on the other side, I found a, a, a body of believers who were honest and who were loving and who were uh, simple and straightforward in their commitments to God's people and God's work in Ireland. And, and it was, I realized, oh, okay, like this is, this is, these are my teachers. Like I'm not, anyone's teacher these are my teachers i am a student i am i am a, it felt like i was a recent convert it felt like i was given a chance to begin something again and without that year i it was only his mercy that i had that year no i don't people don't get a year like that typically in, right. in the on the face of it um and i look back at that moment often i've told you about that moment and look back at it as without which 
um, I would probably be a statistic of another failed uh, minister, another hypocrite, wow. or yeah. or someone who or who who led in a way that that burdened and oppressed God's people, rather than set them free in His love. And and I'm not saying that you know, oh, and I'm this great pastor now or something, but I just know that if He hadn't revealed what was actually there, even though my social world of the church was so kind affirming and and excited about the things that i was connected to um it was not it was not true in my inward being and he needed to show me that difference not to dismiss one but to make real the other and do you think do you think that there i don't even i'm i'm such like a I'm such a pessimist. <laughs> yeah. Maybe because I know myself. But um I know what's being revealed that is ugly. Yeah. Right? Um but I also see that the Lord used a really ugly moment of my own revealing to bring a lot of good into my life and to bring a lot of beauty and a lot of hope and a lot of restoration um into into my life and the things that I was connected to. Um where do you see, I know we're like right in the middle of this in yeah. some ways, right? And, and in, in one way we always are, but I, I know it can be hard to see much. Um, could you maybe share maybe something in you um, that has been, again, not to dramatize something, but the, like it's, it's hard for me to see people drop away, right? It's hard yeah. to, okay without being bitter, um, you know, to make sure I'm continuing to love God's people, even though especially other pastors or leaders around me are saying and doing things that I feel like is lampstand removable, (laughs) um, to try not to coin (laughs) a phrase ever again. Um, but do you, do you see anything like, have you been learning or, or seeing an opportunity for yourself? Um, in this time of apocalypse, yeah, that that is helping. Yeah, I think it's 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 been an amplified season, and so it's amplified a truth that is always with us. As apocalypse, as Christian, as we understand it in Christianity, apocalypse always does it. It it shows us the 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 true nature of things, or or a, a larger vision of the true nature of things. You know, in, in in our in our tradition, we we observe um, the the day of Ash Wednesday mm. every year, which is a disruption, a an apocalyptic disruption, and not a very fun one, um, because we go there on that day, which starts the season of Lent, and we have ashes put on our forehead in the form of the cross of Jesus, and uh, we hear the words, "Remember, O man, you are dust, and unto dust you will return." Um, which are, you know, the words to Adam, always. Um, there's a, it calls forth something that is always with us. Um, and apocalypse um, is always, it always makes present the end. Um, and disruption, even of the minor kind, disruption of our familiar, always makes closer the knowledge and reality of death. And so it's not pessimistic to feel that, mm. first of all. It's you're, it's a it's to sense the real gravity that the end is always with us, 
and we don't we you know w- wisdom teaches us to pray to number our hours that we might you know that we that we that we might have wisdom right um, we don't know what this afternoon will bring hmm. you know the end is is always near um, I was asked once uh, during this season I'm like do you believe do you think this is maybe the end times I knew what, knew what it meant because I read through the Left Behind books too as a kid. And I knew I kind of knew what was being asked in the question, but I said I don't know, but it might be our ending. Mm. It might be our end times, at the, at the least. And I think that's the first step that restores us to that humility again, saying, right. "Oh Lord, right. I am small and fragile and corruptible and limited, and I need something that I don't have to be what I'm made to be." Um, and to be ready for the end. So I think that's where it starts. We, 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 if we stay there, it, does, it hardens into a pessimism. But if we, if we will fall to our knees, um, as, as I've, I've been required to do so many times during this, and, and, and admit my powerlessness, mm. um, which I have cried out to the Lord so many times in this season of how scared and how powerless I feel, um, that I don't feel that I don't, I know that I am not enough of myself to do the work he's called me to do. Um, in those moments, I think we will find the thing that we're, we're meant to find, which is the strength of God, Mm. um, that passes our strength, that, that is beyond our strength. Um, and I think that that's, that's my hope. That's, that's a hope I have for everybody in this, but especially I think in this moment for the pastors out there that might be listening, um, I would say to them, I think the Lord loves you. Um, and if you're feeling this burden, um, you are near his heart. And to, uh, and to, and to, and, and to call out because he's right there. Hmm. I think pastors sometimes miss this more than, more than anyone else because we, we feel like we ought to have it a lot more together than we do. Right. Um, but I think that the, the same the same truth we would admonish we would we would impart to our parishioners and the same grace we would continually call them back to is the same grace we have to accept for ourselves mm. and every Christian should. But that grace confronts our limits and our and our and our brokenness. So in this time, my hope is found, um, you know, and I and I struggle with that same you know freezing up of the heart. Um, but where where I find hope is in um, the sense that maybe we can maybe on the other side of this. Um, if this is not our ending, um, on the other side of this, maybe we can be closer to the heart of Jesus by acknowledging our humility and calling out for the true strength that he that he wants to give us. And if this is our ending, and it might be, if this is our if this is our end times, um, you know, may we be found fit to meet the Lord, mm. um, because whether it be in the hour of our death or at the hour of the world's death, the world's last night, um, there will be Jesus. And, you know, may we have the hope to be found in him and Mm. live in that hope and look forward to that. And look forward to that. I, I can only say amen and amen that the good things have been made obviously good. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. We talked about our kids and and just the joy of life as a gift and the simplicity of a good meal and how deeply good a good meal is. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like there are other things that are being revealed, like the importance of, of old friendships, you know, and things like that. Like there, there are things that are being revealed 
that are the Lord's good work over this season, over these periods of time. I love that you said, historically, this is normal. Yeah. This is normal. And so, you know, living in all the ways we would encourage, exhort, or want anyone else to be living before right. the face of God at any moment, um, that's what we should be up to. And and he is is going to be, as Augustine says, nearer to us than we are to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, it is, it is a time of great hope because it has always been a time of great hope yeah. because of who Christ is. Yeah. Uh, Reverend Butler, thank you so much for Thanks, joining David. us today. It's good to be here. And thank you, my friends. Uh, apocalypse now. <laughs> and then, and then again. Uh, go with God. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on Newsletter, and sign up there. Until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with 